Imagine if you are lying in bed and all of a sudden you hear a voice. Now, innately, you know that it's the voice of God. Now, this voice, it says, look, I'm going to give you an offer. I am going to bless you. I am going to make you rich. And guess what? You are never going to have to make, you never have to think about money again. You never have to, you're never going to have to think about your debt again. Whatever you want, you will be able to have at any moment. And guess what? I'm going to give you a beautiful spouse. And I will give you children who are so smart and so kind and so polite. Man, it's going to be great. I'm going to give you prosperity in every area of your life. But here's the catch. I will not be with you. My presence will not go with you. That's the offer. Will you take it? I know that can sound really extreme. But you see, it's the offer that God gives to Moses in the beginning of this chapter. Because last week we talked about the golden calf, right? One of the biggest mistakes, one of the greatest sins that the Israelites ever committed. How they turned their backs on God. And they decided to worship God and everything else on the same plane. And so God, he gives this offer to Moses. And he says, I'm going to get rid of your enemies. I will do what I promised. I will send you into that land. But guess what? I will not go with you anymore. And Moses, you see, he rejects that. And he says, no, 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 God, if I don't have you, I don't want to go. If I don't have you, then I'm not going to move from this place. It's all you, and it's nothing over there. You know, a couple of days ago in our, in our prayer meeting, someone asked me, they, we were talking about all these different things. Right? We're praying over all these different topics about coronavirus and about healing, about all these different things. And, and we were just thinking, man, it's, it's, I never would have expected something like this to happen. And I remember someone saying, Pastor Daniel, you're the one who prayed for that this would be the year breakthrough. You know? And I was like, I was thinking about that. Right? I was like, is, is that what breakthrough is? And it made me realize that maybe what God is trying to tell me, especially, and trying to tell our congregation, is that what true breakthrough is, is not dependence upon success or prosperity or upon anything good or anything bad. It's simply us saying, no matter what, God, I'm going to follow you. It's saying that, God, no matter what, I need your presence more than anything else in my life. And that even if there's so much success and so much greatness and so much fame and so much prosperity over here, I'm not going to move a single step from this place unless you go with me. And I wonder if that's what the year of breakthrough is supposed to mean for us. Because no matter how good or how bad a situation is, the only difference is, are you with God or are you not with God? 
And this is all that the Lord is telling Moses right now. Because in verses 1 through 6, he says, Look, I'm going to keep my promise to you. I'm a God who keeps his promises. No matter how unfaithful other people are, no matter how unfaithful you are, I'm going to keep my promise, so I will continue my promise. The promise I have promised your fathers, that I will send you into the land of milk and honey. Not only that, I'm going to destroy all the enemies that go against you. I will drive out those enemies, I will give you prosperity, but my presence will not go with you. I will not go with you, Moses. You see, Moses, he hears that, and in verse 15, he says this, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's saying, I'm not going to move unless you come with me. This wilderness, as terrible as it has been, as much as we are starving and dying of thirst, this is so much better now because you are with us than any success that we could have in the future without you. That was Moses' mindset. That was Moses' heart. And then in verse 18, Moses asked God, asked God to show him his glory. You see, let me paraphrase what's being said here. Moses says that he wants to be with God, but more than that, he wants God to show him God's glory. He's saying something really important that we need to understand, that being with God is intimately connected with understanding God's glory. In order to be with God, you're going to need to understand God's glory. Those two things are linked together. And so all I want to do today is something really simple. I want to look at the meaning of glory. What does glory mean? I want to look at what happens when we give glory to something else. And lastly, I want to see what God's response is to Moses in this passage. First, the meaning of glory. In verses 18 and 19, it says this, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. You see, Moses, he asked God to show him his glory, and God's answer to that was to show all his goodness and proclaim his name. God was showing how good he is and has been to Moses. Why is this important? In the Hebrew, The word glory, it literally means weight, a weightiness. The more weight something has in your life, the more importance it has. And the more importance it has, the more glory it has. So God, by showing his goodness, by proclaiming his name, by showing his character to Moses, was showing how important he was. He was going to show how good he's been to them and how faithful of a God he was. He's showing his weight to Moses' life. 
Now, church, the reason why this is so important and the reason why we need to continually ask what Moses is asking is saying, God, remind me of your glory, remind me of your goodness, remind me of your weightiness, is because for us, we innately assess glory to everything in our lives. We put importance to all these different things. Think of a weighing scale. Every day, we are putting one thing against another, and we're seeing which one is heavier, which one is more important. Now, let's say you have a a free day tomorrow, and your friends, they all want to go hang out. But you also know that you haven't spent very much time with your wife, right? You know that you you, you need to spend more time, and you know that it's good to, to date your wife, and you read all those books, right? And it happens to be one of her free days, too. What do you do? What is more important to you? Well, hopefully, you'll call your boys, you'll call your friends and say, man, I want to hang out, but not today. i got to go hang out with my wife, right? And you spend the day with your wife. What you're doing in that moment is you're putting more importance on one thing rather than another. You're giving more glory to your relationship with your wife than with other people. There's nothing wrong with prioritizing what needs to be prioritized. The problem comes in when we take away God's glory and we give it to something else. Because there's a level of importance that should not be on the same plane as everything else in this world. There's a level of importance that should always come first and everything else should come second. And yet what we end up doing is we take away the glory that is reserved only for the Lord, the importance and the weightiness of the Lord, and we give it to something else. And I think this is so important because we will never put God as the most important things in our life, as the most important thing in our life, unless we come to the realization that we are are giving his glory to something else. A lot of us don't make this connection. A lot of us think that, hey, I'm not giving, I'm just, maybe I'm just not worshiping God, but I'm not worshiping anything else. That is a false assumption. What you are doing is you're taking away the glory that is reserved for the Lord and you're giving it to something else, whether that's your career, whether that's in money, whether that's in your family or your relationships. And when we give our glory, when we give God's glory to something else, church, your life will always be up and down. Look at the example of Moses compared to the Israelites. And we talked about this before. They were in the same situation, with the same experiences. And yet what we see is Moses is completely stable in the Lord. And the Israelites, they move back and forth like the wind. And the reason is simple. It's because Moses put God as the most important thing. He gave God his glory, while the Israelites did not. Now, the question you may be asking is, How do we know where we're placing our glory? How do we know what is most important in our lives? How do we know where we are placing that? 
Well, the Bible gives us how. Because in chapter 32, you see the Israelites, they build a golden calf. And in order to do so, what they do is we read, they take off their ornaments of gold and they melt it in order to make that golden calf. Now, later we see in chapter 35, they've repented. They've come back to the Lord. And what happens now is that we see the same exact thing that the Israelites, they take off their ornaments and they melt the gold and they make the tabernacle of God. You see, when they were away from God, they gave their gold to the calf. When they were with the Lord, they gave their gold to the temple. Church, how do we know where we're placing our glory? The answer is where our money goes to most easily. Look, I'm I'm not trying to make you feel bad about offering and tithes, that we're not doing like a love offering after this or anything like that. I'm telling you an important principle of what we are reading here, that money itself isn't an idol, but where your money goes is going to show you where your idols are. And there's no better way to identify the idols of your heart than when you look at your heart and see where your money flows to most easily. Don't you see that there's a problem when you're able to give your money so easily in one thing, and yet it is so difficult for you to give of your offering and tithes? It's important to check your heart in this way. In church, when we give our glory to something else, we begin to resemble the Israelites. I think one of, the, one of the best ways I've seen to um, distinguish newer Christians from older Christians is when you see their reaction to the Israelites' uh, unfaithfulness. You see, newer Christians, what they do is they see all of the, the great things that God had done and the foolishness and the faithlessness of the Israelites, and they scoff, right? They laugh and go, man, how can they forget so easily? And yet, older Christians, they look at that same thing, at the same people, and they go, ah, yeah, with empathy, right? You see, newer Christians will say it's impossible to have an experience like the parting of the Red Sea, and yet only weeks later be faithless. They look at others and critique and criticize when people, when they have experienced such great things, And they have turned faithless after. But older Christians know that is is exactly what our hearts do. You know, I've been able to talk to many people in ministry who've experienced the the power of God. And, man, it's been crazy how, how God has worked so powerfully in their lives. I mean, a miracle. You could even say that, man, God parted the sea for them. That, they, that God protected them. That God really showed so much favor in their lives when it was so undeserved. And yet, only a few weeks later, they forget. Or their hearts grow cold toward him. See, the reason why the Israelites were so hot and cold when it came to God 
was because they were placing the glory that was reserved for God into other things. They were certain that riches and land and comfort would give them true joy. And so they elevated those things on the same level above God or even on the same level as God in importance. But they didn't realize this one important thing, that true joy comes from giving God his glory. Man, that they were created to give God praise. Church, do you realize that? That we were created to love God. Being loved by God, we, tell, we, we share this all the time in the Gospels, right? Man, you, God loves you. God loves you. And that's so absolutely crucial to our understanding of God. But that's only half the story. We're missing such an important piece when we don't realize that we were created to love him with everything that we have. And because of that, in that, we will have true joy. You know, I've talked to a lot of faithful husbands who've been happily married for decades. And I, just, I always ask for advice, right? I just, I'm curious about it. And, and not once, not once have they ever said, Danny, look, if you find a girl that you're just whatever about, and that you're just not really that into, but they really love you, man, that's perfect. That's great. You're going to have a great marriage. Of course not. They would never in a million years say that. Of course you want to be loved, but you want to equally love that other person. That's where the joy comes in marriage, being loved and loving the other person. The Bible says that marriage, you see, is a microcosm of our relationship with God. That God, he loves us. But that's only half the story. We are called and created to love him back. And it's in that way we will find true joy. I love what John Piper said about it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I think that's really true. And so lastly, God, he responds to Moses' request. Moses, he asks God to show him his glory. But we also know that when God reveals much of himself, that it would mean certain death. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, that when a holy God shows more of who he is, that the sinful people can't stand that and then they die. We see that in the Holy of Holies when the high priest goes in and he's not clean. We see that when someone accidentally touches the Ark of the Covenant and they die. And yet, however, in this passage, God, he tells Moses to go to a cleft in the mountain where a rock was sticking out. And God said that he would pass by. And he said that the rock would protect Moses in that place. Let me read verses 21 to 23. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It's interesting because we see how powerful God's presence has always been. We see that nothing can stand the force 
the wrath, the, the holiness of God's presence. And yet with Moses, he was protected by this rock. Why is this significant? It's because, you see, God, he was pointing to a time in the future when people would know the glory and the presence of God without having to die. That there would be a holy God and that there would be a sinful people. And yet the sinful people would be protected by the ultimate rock of Jesus Christ. That the rock of Jesus Christ would come down to earth that he would live the perfect life and that he would die the sinner's death for you and for me and the people there. And because of that, what we read is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that the holy of holies, that the curtain that was covering that place was torn in two. And what that meant is that we can now have a true and lasting and personal relationship with God. How beautiful is that? Do you want the presence of God? Do you truly want to know who he is? That comes through our belief, our love for Jesus Christ. Church, I want to end with just two application points. The first is that Moses, he understood the importance of persistence before the Lord. God, he tells Moses that, you know what, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And Moses, you know what he says? No, I want you to stay. In fact, I am not going to move from this place without you. And so God, he relents. And he says, I will be with you. But Moses goes on and says, well, you know what? That's good, but that's not good enough. Because I want more. Show me your glory. Church, for Moses, he was not satisfied with just enough. He was not satisfied with just being good. He wanted God and he wanted him more. The most telling sign, church, that you are spiritually sick is that you are satisfied with where you are today. Your prayer life is fine. Your relationship with God is adequate. And church is where you think it should be in your life. Church, be careful. Be careful about that. Your heart is not in the right condition. Look at the example of Moses. The reason he is spiritually healthy is because he's dissatisfied with his spiritual health. He loves the Lord, and yes, he is growing with him. But for him, you can just tell that he wants to be on fire for the Lord. It's not enough, God, that, you're, that you are with me. I want even more. God, I want more. I want more. I want more. He doesn't want just a piece of God. He wants him to be the center and the top and the bottom and the middle. Church, the second application is in the last verse where God tells Moses, I'm not going to show you my face, but I will take my hand away and you will see my back. Church, most of the time, 
We will not see God when he is in front of us, but we will recognize him after he's passed by. In the midst of hardship, many times we will not see him. As much as we try, as much as we think we, we ask and all of those different things, there's, it's going to be so difficult to see him in that. But God allows us to see how he has worked when we look back. And church, this is why so many times in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the one word that God tells the Israelites is remember. Remember. Remember what I've done. Remember the things that we've gone through. Remember how I've taken you out of Egypt. Remember that you were in slavery. Remember where your life was. He says, remember again and again. We can know God's faithfulness today when we learn to look back on our lives yesterday. This is so important. When we are struggling physically and spiritually and mentally, there's so many times that we will want God to reveal himself at that moment, and we become frustrated when that doesn't happen. But look back, because God will allow you to see how he's worked in your past in order to give you hope for the future. He may not let you see what's happening in this moment, but he will allow you to see all the dominoes that have fallen to, uh, to bring you hope for today. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. Church, I'd like for us just to pray.